The reading today is from Acts chapter 4, and it's verse 23 to 37, and you can find that on the Church Bible on page 1096. 1096. So Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Jane, thank you very much for reading for us. Let me add my welcome to Rachel's and, uh, uh, yeah, I do hope we are already enjoying uh, lots of God's blessings in this new year. Um, uh, let me pray for us as we, as we think further about um, this passage and as we uh, begin a new series and a new year. Uh, our Father God, we ask for your help. Uh, we've, uh, we've prayed that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that we reflect upon it and uh, think of the way that it uh, might speak specifically into uh, the life of uh, each one of us, but also our life as a community together. Uh, we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I say, uh, the start of a new series uh, with this new year. Um, 
And uh, the idea behind the series um, is this. God is holy. And he calls his people, the church, to be holy as he is holy. Um, And central to the idea of, of the holiness of God is his difference, his distinctiveness, his set apartness, his not like others-ness. Uh, it's core to the idea of holiness. We were thinking about that um, last year. So, so therefore, to be a people who reflect the holiness of God will mean to be a people who are, in a sense, distinctive, different, who stand out from the culture in which they're located. Um, hence the idea behind this series of, of a counter-cultural church, a church that is in some way uh, proving to be, seeking to be distinctive uh, from the mood, the atmosphere, the ways uh, of the culture it finds itself in. And we can look at five ways that God calls uh, his church uh, to be counter-cultural. Uh, and the first of those relates to our possessions and to the whole idea of materialism. Now, what a great topic for a post-Christmas sermon, eh? Materialism. I mean, you know, the the season of materialism that we have just uh, been through. Um, Here is a few indigestion-inducing facts about Christmas. Uh, Start with food and drink. Apparently, uh, we have just consumed in the UK 10 million turkeys uh, this Christmas. Um, to go with them, there were 750 million Brussels sprouts. If you lined those up side by side, they would stretch all the way from London to Sydney in Australia. That's a lot of Brussels sprouts, isn't it? Especially because most of us don't like them anyway. So what were they doing there? No, 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 we do. We love them. We love them. Uh, as for the beer, how about the beer consumed over Christmas? Collect all that together, it would fill 57 Olympic swimming pools. Sort of wrap your head around that one. And then there are the presents. Millions and millions of presents. Um, No less than 227,000 miles of wrapping paper were required in the UK to cover up all of our presents. And that means that we have thrown away 83 square kilometers of the stuff. Which, if you can't get your head around that, uh, means that that would cover the land space of Cambridge, twice, um, with wrapping paper. There's a thought. It would be a lot tidier, wouldn't it, if we did that? Uh, And then when Christmas is over, the January sales begin. Uh, And all of those clever algorithms kick in, uh, presenting before us that the personally targeted ads that have been shaped by internet browsing history, and more sinisterly still, by uh, our little devices that have been listening to us and picking up words we've spoken Uh, to target us with ads. It's a scary world we live in. It's really hard not to be swept up by all of that and to end up being people who just want more and more stuff. So what's to be done? Do we resist the material? Do we say, no, 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 we're, we're... We're seeking to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are only going to be interested in spiritual stuff. Well, there would be some hints from Jesus that might point us in that direction, aren't there? 
Uh, Jesus certainly saw the dangers in material wealth. Watch out, he said. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Yeah, Jesus was very clear about the perils of wealth. It's easier, he said, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. So is that it then? God is against material things, and all he wants is for us to concentrate on spiritual things. Well, actually, no. If, if Christmas is a time that, yeah, wakes us up, uh, or parades before us the, the very great extent of materialism in our culture, actually, in another sense, Christmas presents before us just how committed God is to the material. Because what's the central event of the Christmas story? It is Jesus being born into the world. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Now, that's a pretty clear affirmation of the material, isn't it? God's great plan of salvation isn't to, to do away with this material world so that we enter into some sort of formless, uh, bodiless existence. No, God's plan is to redeem this world with a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth, a complete with resurrection bodies. William Temple, an archbishop from the past, said that of all the world religions, it's Christianity that is the most materialistic. God is for matter. He's positive about stuff. He approves of created things. He delights in beauty. So, if that's the case, what, what, what then is the problem with materialism? Well, one writer puts it like this. Materialism Materialism is what happens. It, it, it means that your happiness, your joy, your contentment, and your satisfaction is tied to something that is within this material world. It's tied to it. It's located in it. it it's, it's bound up with it. Your greatest desire, your greatest passion is something physical, rather than the Lord God. So, you see, the problem with materialism isn't just about gaining possessions. It is, if you like, about losing perspective and allowing the material stuff to take the place of God. And that means that you don't need to be super rich to be a materialist. You can have very, very little, but still be somebody who is preoccupied with the material building your life around stuff because you spend all your time longing for what you haven't got. Uh, a materialist lives for stuff. Getting stuff gives satisfaction. Having stuff brings joy. Accumulating stuff is their measure of success. And parading stuff is what they do to make them feel good about themselves. A materialist puts stuff before God. 
And let's be honest, we are all very, very vulnerable to that. So what then is to be done? Well, church. Church is what is to be done. Because God's plan was to create a community which does things differently. This idea of distinctiveness, this idea of being countercultural in a church community. God planned uh, the creation of a community who, in its attitude to the material, proves to be countercultural. Not despising the material, but refusing to worship it. And when a church does that, you see a couple of things happen. Believers get challenged. They challenge one another within the community. Challenge one another to, to, to change their way of thinking in relation to material possessions. Uh, we do that for one another as we live in a community that does things differently. And a church will also challenge the, the world in which it's in. Because it'll look different by bucking the trend. People look at the church and say, the way that these people behave in relation to their possessions, very, very different. Different attitude, different way uh, of using the stuff that they have. How do you think we're doing? I think Cambridge looks at Christchurch and says, they behave very differently in relation to their possessions. I suspect probably not. I suspect probably there's quite a bit of room for, for, for improvement in this regard, isn't there? All too easily to become a community that is conditioned by culture rather than contrary to culture. So, at the start of 2022, uh, with all of us with our New Year resolutions in mind, uh, let's take a look at Acts chapter 4 and see what we can learn here about what God is calling us to. Um, we're, we're focusing on the, uh, you probably guessed that, we're focusing on the, the, the latter part of the verses that Jane read. Um, let me get them back into our minds again, um, having teed up our topic for this morning. Um, so if you get it back open again if you've shut it, page 1096, I'm going to read again from verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So, so notice within these verses, um, two transformed attitudes and two driving forces uh, for that transformation. First then, two transformed attitudes, which are mutual commitment and radical generosity. All the believers, the entire community of the church, 
were one in heart and mind, uh, we read uh, in verse 32. In other words, they were united. They, they belonged to each other. They, they sensed that this was their community. This was their people. Uh, they, they were so much of a piece that they thought the same way. They, uh, they desired the same things. They had a, they had a commonality to their community life that is so powerful that it was like having one heart and mind. Church mattered to them. It's like family to them. And to that end, and because of that fact, they were generous. If someone needed something, and somebody else in the community had that something, then they'd give it to them. It was as simple as that. And the result, according to verse 34, was that there was no needy person among them. It's a stunning community. Where a person who has stuff just naturally and obviously gives to somebody who hasn't got stuff. Because they can see that they're needy, and I've got it, so I'll give it to you. Because that's what you do with a community that is of one heart and mind, a community that is family together. Instead of people being driven by the pursuit of possessions with accumulation as their goal, here is a community that's driven by generosity with mutual care as the goal. Those who had gave to those who had less. So, what do we do with this? Is this a specific model to follow? Is this what we should see and aim for uh, in Christchurch, Cambridge uh, in 2022? I, I think as we ask that question, it's, it's possible to, to, to drop into, into one of two kind of errors at, at either extreme. One is to over-apply this and to say, right, okay, I get this. So private ownership is bad. You know, we, I abandon my claim to own anything. And all of us need to move to a commune. And we will abandon the, 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 the right of personal possessions altogether. Um, and we will just live with this sort of shared life in a commune somewhere. Well, there are examples of church communities who've done that. Uh, and usually they've gone badly. Uh, and it's not actually what's being described here, is it? You look carefully. We're told that from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. This isn't an instant abdication of private property rights. People went on owning things, just as it's clear in the letters that the New Testament uh, um, letters are written to, the churches uh, that those letters are written to, that people went on owning things there as well. Christians aren't meant to renounce the right of private ownership. So, so don't jump to that error. But, but equally, don't jump to the other error, which is to say, well, actually this was just a sort of funny old thing that happened at the beginning of the, the, the history of the church, and, and it was just a bit peculiar, and it soon wore off, and, and we don't need to worry about it. It's got nothing to do with us. Don't, don't, don't fall to that error either. The, the principle of mutual care still applies. That, that demands to make personal sacrifices with our own wealth and possessions. That still applies. 
And the counter-cultural challenge, I think, for us in this picture of the church is that there will be times when we can make our homes or our cars or our money or whatever else it is available to other people within the church community. Now, it would be, be different at, at different stages of life. Different uh, for, uh, for older and for younger. Uh, but as I look back over uh, 17 years here at Christchurch, I, I see lots of this. Uh, I see cars and holiday homes uh, that have been uh, shared. Garden tools and bike racks. Um, personally, for our own family, a number of dogs that have been shared with us over the years uh, to keep our youngest happy. Some of you know lots about that. It goes on all over our church community. Uh, I asked Scott, who, who, who does our youth work, I said to him, I said to him Scott, how would this work in sort of teenage? You know, what, what, what do teenagers do a lot of sharing of? And he thought for a moment, Scott, and he said, well, when I used to do mark homework, it seemed to me that an awful lot of homework seemed to have got shared. <laughs> I thought, I've just read this. Uh, I said, Scott, I don't think that's quite what I'm after here from you. But he didn't really come up with anything more useful. <laughs> but, but, but this sort of sharing one to another, lots of it goes on. And lots of it goes on under the radar. That's one of the lovely things about it, isn't it? It's not, it's not centrally organized. People find out about somebody who's in need, who can't afford a holiday, uh, and make uh, a place available to them. People know of somebody whose finances are tight, whose illness has meant they can't work, uh, and money arrives. Because uh, I'm a vicar, I get to hear about little bits of that even though there's still lots more of it that I don't hear about. So know that these things take place. But please don't imagine there isn't huge room for improvement. We need more and more of this pattern of mutual commitment and radical generosity. It is costly and it is countercultural. And something in us will cling on to what we've got. But, but, but know also that giving stuff away is enormously spiritually good for us. Um, but for a start, giving stuff away is an excellent way of, of a sort of a litmus test of just how much materialism has got a grip on you. Because when you try to give your possessions away, you discover who's in charge. Whether you are in charge of your possessions or your possessions are in charge of you. Because if you're in charge of your possessions, then you will be able to give them away. But if your possessions are in charge of you, they won't let you. They'll take control. And they'll say, no, 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 don't give me away. And you will be defeated. So that's the best way of finding out. Give something away and you'll find out, are you in charge of your possessions or are they in charge of you? And previous generations also used to, to speak of the idea of, um, 
uh, of this kind of radical generosity and other spiritual disciplines as being like a process of being weaned. You know, like a, a baby is weaned. A sort of uh, baby initially only drinks milk. But as you wean it, um, it can move on to, uh, to the delights of lasagna and pavlova and all the rest. But actually, babies don't see it like that. And when you try and wean a baby, actually what they want is the milk. And they don't think you're doing something nice. They think something terrible is happening. But you have to get through that weaning phase to get past the all I want is milk in order to be able to enjoy the pavlovas and the lasagnas and all the rest. And in the same kind of way, you and I need to be weaned off this world in order to... to take hold of the much better things of the world to come. To wean ourselves from a passion for this stuff, as if this is the best that we're ever going to have. Because it's not. It's like a baby saying, all I ever want is milk. So giving stuff away will be one of the ways that you wean yourself. To let go of this world. To say, no, this isn't my best. This isn't my most important. There is something better to come, and that's where I want my heart located. How does that come about? Well, we've seen two transformed attitudes uh, of mutual commitment and radical generosity. Now, now look at the two drivers for that, that this passage seems to point us towards. Well, we find them there in the middle of verse 33 where we read that with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The resurrection, when you think about it, signals more clearly than just about anything that this world is not all there is. Uh, and that makes a difference. Take a really trivial example. Uh, suppose over Christmas you found yourself in possession of the last mince pie. Or, or the very last slice of Christmas cake. Or, or whatever your absolute favourite Christmas treat is. And, and it is the fact that it is the last one that makes it particularly hard to share it with somebody else. You know how you do it. I mean, sort of, you know, there's, a, there's a plate of mince pies, um, and you, you, you offer them to everybody else. Because actually what you do is you want one yourself. And you offer them to somebody else, it's easy for you to have your second one. But if there's only one on the plate, well, that's a bit trickier. Because if you offer that to somebody else, then it's gone. And you can't have it. So it's really hard. I mean, that was the, the whole idea behind the who do you love enough to give your last Rolo to adverts. Do they still do that? Or is that just so long ago now, Teresa? <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> do, do, do I have Rolos anymore? <laughs> Probably not. Okay, anyway, you get the idea. Let's go back to the mince pie, shall we? Stick with the mince pie. So you're going to give the mince pie away. It's the last one. be none left. But suppose at that moment you noticed a huge pile of boxes of mince pies or, or four or five Christmas cakes on the table over there that were all yours. Well, suddenly things feel very different, don't they? Much easier to give away the mince pie or the slice of Christmas cake now. Well, it's a trivial example, but you get the point. Resurrection, the promise of blessings for eternity, make it a lot easier to share the little blessings 
the, the small things that we enjoy now, knowing how much God has in store for us. Is that what the resurrection does? It is about this restoration of perspective, isn't it? To get, get us thinking rightly about this world by remembering the realities of the world uh, to come. When this world is shouting at us now, and this, and us, we so badly need a church community where we're hearing something different, when we're hearing then, and him, and forever. So resurrection, first of these drivers for change. And then the second is God's grace. Because we're told that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. And you see, it wasn't their effort that meant that there was no needy person among them. It wasn't some sort of brilliant, sort of strategized, sort of sharing plan. No, it was God's grace that was so powerfully at work. And I do want us to see and hear this clearly. Because it'd be very easy um, uh, this morning with New Year resolutions buzzing around in our head to, to hear all of this as a kind of encouragement from me or an encouragement from God to sort of twist our arm behind our back and sort of force a little bit of generosity out of ourselves. Oh, come on, I've got to do it. So hard, I don't really want to. Oh, all right, then I must. Be easy to feel it like that, wouldn't it? Just got to twist myself to force out a little bit of generosity. But the generosity that comes here is, is driven by God's grace powerfully at work in them. This is God that does it. It happens, and it will happen in us as a community, in us as individuals, when we remember and when we experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, glance back up to verse 31. That's why I wanted Jane to, to read the section before. Because 31 and 32 is linked. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is a spiritual work by the Lord. This is the work of the Holy Spirit coming amongst them in power. And all sorts of things happen. Yes, the word of God gets spoken boldly. But alongside that, the believers become one in heart and mind. And alongside that, they stop claiming any of their possessions of their own and instead begin to share <coughs> everything that they have. All of these things are the, are the mighty, wonderful work of God's Holy Spirit amongst his people. That's where we've got to begin. To begin with Christ, who came in the flesh. To experience Christ, who gave himself for us. To treasure Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. To be found in Christ, in whom we die to sin. And to be raised with Christ in whom we are born again to new life. Jesus does this in us. Because to be a Christian is to be found in him, 
So don't hear this morning, first and foremost, me urging you to be different in relation to your possessions. Hear me this morning urging you from God's word to engage afresh with Christ. At the start of 2022, as we consider what it will mean for us to be a counter-cultural church, don't wrestle ourselves into a place of generosity, but return to the one who is generosity itself, who came in the flesh, died in our place, and in whom we are made new. Let me pray. Uh, now, Father, over this Christmas time, we've, we've looked again at, at those marvellous verses about the one who was rich became poor, so that we who are poor might be made rich. Uh, thank you for your extravagant generosity, which is revealed to us most vividly uh, in the events of the Incarnation. Uh, thank you that uh, you have come amongst us uh, in order uh, to be our saviour, in order to, to make us uh, those who are inheritors, uh, those who are adopted. And Father, would, uh, would your extravagant generosity to us uh, cause us, as we experience it, uh, to become generous people uh, to one another? Uh, please help us. Uh, to resist the tug of our culture, uh, which uh, is so powerful, uh, and uh, uh, live in greater and greater imitation uh, of you, our generous uh, and gracious God. Uh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.